sometimes some. I usually, I shouldn't say usually, but sometimes I do try to sing a song when I go somewhere. My throat's a little bit scratchy tonight, but I'm going to try to do a song I haven't done in a long time, so I'm going to get the music out. I appreciate the opportunity to be here at Fairview Memorial. It's been quite some time since I visited with y'all. Matter of fact, quite a few years uh, since I have attended here. My wife said she didn't believe she had ever been here. Uh, So uh, it's the first time for her anyway. And I appreciate uh, having the opportunity to preach somewhere. Uh, Up until about uh, almost seven years ago now, I pastored for uh, close to 40 years, uh, but had some health problems that uh, took me away from that, and uh, the Lord hasn't put me back into that position again, uh, so I have the opportunity to preach here and there occasionally, and uh, I, uh, I still relish the opportunities that I have, and I ask that you uh, do be prayerful for me as we try to present a portion of God's word for you here in just a few moments. The chimes of time bring out the news, another day is through. Someone slipped and fell, was that someone you? You may have longed for added strength, your courage to renew. Do not be discouraged, for I bring hope to you. It is no secret what God can do, what is done for others, he'll do for you. With arms wide open, he'll pardon you. It is no secret what God can do. There is no right for in his light You'll never walk alone, always feel at home, whatever you may roam, there is no power can conquer you while God is on your side. Just take him at his promise. Don't run away and hide. It is no secret what God can do, what he's done for others, he'll do for you. 
arms wide open, he'll pardon you. It is no secret what God can do. Praying about what uh, scriptures to use and what thoughts to bring is uh, always a challenge for a preacher. We rely on God to give us direction, to lead us, and sometimes we don't understand the reasons why that uh, we might be given some particular thoughts, but God knows how to use them, and if we rely upon him, then uh, we can expect good things from it. I'm going to be reading uh, about four verses uh, throughout the 90th Psalm, but I want to start with the first verse of the Bible. It's very simple, and most of you know it, I'm sure. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And some people have a question, well, what was the beginning? As Moses was given the words by God to pin down, he's talking about the beginning of creation. We actually have some scriptures that talk about what happened before the beginning of creation when there was a council of God uh, to make up the, uh, the thought of creating everything. And in the beginning, the starting point, time became something that had not been known in eternity. And Jesus had said that I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And we'll talk about that in just a little bit, I think. Uh, the Lord allowing us to bring that into the thoughts. But there was a beginning point of time. There will be an ending point of time. And somewhere between that beginning point and that ending point, there have been all the lives of the billions of people that have lived. We know that there's a cycle of life, or we refer to that, where people are born, they live, they die. There's people that are being born every day somewhere in the world. There are people that die every day somewhere in the world. And so this is something that we know from our own experience and from what history tells us that everybody dies that is born. There are some that are not allowed to even live past the womb for various reasons. There are those that live just a short time after their birth. There are others that live to mid-age. There's others that live uh, to quite an old age as far as we count time. But however, 
in that course of the continuum of time, life is still short. It's relatively a small piece of the time that has existed and the time that will exist until God calls a halt to it. The 90th division of Psalms is a, a prayer of Moses. It's the only psalm that we have that is uh, uh, recorded as being that of Moses. And he has some very interesting things to say in this psalm. And I'm going to look at about four different verses through the course of it, starting with the second verse. He said, Before the mountains were brought forth, or even thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. So he reflects back upon the fact uh, that there was a beginning time of the world. He had written uh, the uh, first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, as we refer to it. Uh, and he said that before you even formed these mountains, before that uh, there was even an earth here, that you were from everlasting to everlasting. Thou art God. Everlasting to everlasting, that means that there was an eternity past. We don't know what happened in that eternity past. Outside of the few little gems that the, uh, the Spirit has given someone the opportunity to write for us to know about the counsel of God and so forth. Uh, but we don't know what took place. I don't know what happened before God created the angels. Who was there in heaven besides the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? I don't know those things. But there was an eternity past. No time involved in it. There's an eternity in the future. That is what we're looking for that are saved. That we're looking to go into that eternity to be with God to be in his presence for all time or all eternity because there is no time in eternity. We know that uh, God has set limits in this world, but there's no limits in the eternity that awaits everyone, whether it is an eternity with God in heaven or eternity separated from God in hell. But still, he is God. Now, one thing that I think about sometimes, uh, uh, we, we say that God is all-knowing, he's all-wise, he's all-powerful, he's everything, he's God. He knows the beginning and he knows the end. When he set up the whole idea of making a universe and putting a little planet in that huge universe, and putting people upon it, and all of the things that would go into the creation, he already knew what the very last moment of time would have for this creation. Now, he didn't say that, and I don't want to get into a lot of uh, theological things about uh, uh, the foreknowledge of God and uh, about uh, uh, any kind of a predetermination that he had. There were certain boundaries that he set uh, as being predetermined. He predetermined a plan uh, that mankind that would fall from its uh, original state of perfection that God created him in, uh, when he fell from that, that there was a need 
to find a way to bring him back to God. And so he predetermined a plan of salvation. And Jesus in eternity had volunteered to come and to be the sacrifice that God would demand for the sin of those creations of his that were human beings that had an accountability to God for their sin. And Jesus was the means for that. And, uh, and you preach that on a regular basis, I'm sure. Uh, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that other than just to make a comment occasionally about that. Uh, but God knows everything. He's not surprised at anything that happens. Now, we pray to God and ask him for things that he already knows what's going to happen. But he expects us to approach him. And we try to make some understanding in our own thinking about that. And uh, just as parents try to direct their children and try to guide their children, sometimes they'll ask their child to do something and they're expecting the child to uh, do it. And if the child doesn't do it, uh, usually the parent has some uh, type of way of disciplining the child or directing the child or trying to help them find the right way according to the parent's thoughts about how to do things. And most parents, at least it was for myself, with my children, that when they asked me for something, that made me feel good that they would ask. God feels the same way. He feels good when his children ask something of him. And he likes to hear those requests. He likes to see that confidence that people have in him. Those of us that are saved, we have an open door to talk with God. And we have that privilege. And every person that's lost has the opportunity to talk to God about their lost condition and to ask him for the relief that they need through the shed blood of Jesus Christ uh, that was given for all mankind. But God is God from eternity past to eternity future and eternity present. Eternity present is right at this moment in time. It's what we know it. Uh, those that have died and gone to be with the Lord, uh, they're still in eternity present. And they'll continue in that as long as eternity goes on, which will be forever and ever. So at this present moment, as we count time, there is an eternity present that people are enjoying. Uh, and uh, those that have died without God are in torments. And this present moment, they're in as much torment as they've ever been in or that they ever will be in. And it's something that goes on and on. Moses goes on, and in the, uh, the fourth verse, he says, For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past and as a watch in the night. He makes just a simple statement. A thousand years to God is nothing. It's nothing because he's from eternity past to eternity future. On and on and on. As far as you go one way, you can go as far that way the other way. As far as the east is from the west. That it's just like yesterday to him. Uh, we're uh, uh, told in uh, the, uh, uh, the writing of uh, James that uh, life is like a vapor. It's there just for a few moments, and then it goes away. You put a pot of water on to boil, and, and that vapor comes up, but as soon as it kind of gets away from the heat uh, of uh, the water there, 
uh, it starts to dissipate and all of a sudden it's gone. And he, he compared life to that. Uh, that life is just a short time when we're looking at all of time. It's just a short sliver of time. Uh, we're taught uh, in God's word that we're like a flower of the field. We come up, we blossom, we're there, uh, have some beauty, uh, but then we wither and we die and we're gone. Life is like that. A child is born, we're happy about that child being born, even though the Bible tells us that that's when we ought to mourn because we should be mourning for what he's going to have to face, what that child is going to have to deal with. Uh, and to those that get saved, we're to rejoice at their death. But we got it just kind of backwards in our human nature uh, is the way that we deal with that. Uh, but still, life is a short span. There's a lot of people that have tried to extend their lives, and they'll do everything they possibly can. And there's things that we can do that may cause us to extend our life, but God already knows how that's going to work. And some people take the best care of their body they possibly can, they still die early. They still just drop dead all of a sudden when there's nothing apparently wrong with them. And then there's other people that are sickly all their life and live a long time. In just a couple of years, a couple of, years, a couple of weeks, I'm going to be hitting that age mark that they say is the average age for uh, life expectancy for a male in the United States. So I'm going to be at the average age and hoping to go a little bit longer than that. Uh, now, I hope to get along with, like with Brother Don that's trying to uh, challenge Methuselah on age. Uh, but anyway, uh, we all would like to live longer as long as we can be relatively healthy and all. Uh, we get to a point in time sometimes that people just say, well, I'm ready to go. I don't want to fool with this life anymore. Uh, but still, however long that we're given, it's a relatively short time. Matter of fact, one of the other verses I want to mention uh, here uh, is the uh, 10th verse of the 90th chapter. He says, the days of our years are three score years and ten. A score is 20, so three score is 60, and plus 10 is 70 years. And by reason of strength, or if by reason of strength, they be four score years, or four times 20, it'd be 80 years. Yet is their uh, strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Now, he said that even if we live beyond the expected time or uh, the years that have been appointed to man, that the strength of those years are still labor and toilsome. Uh, they're still difficult. There's sorrows, there's heartaches, there's uh, difficulties that we have to deal with through life. Even in our strongest days, there's still problems. Uh, and at some point, there comes an end of it. And then he says, we fly away. We're going to be gone. Uh, so our time is limited here uh, to what we have. And I appreciate every year that I've had. Some people get all upset about the number of years that they've lived. Uh, well, I, I don't like the alternative as far as this physical nature is concerned. Now, as far as my spiritual nature, I'll be glad to go on to be with the Lord. Uh, but in this physical nature, because of what God has placed in me, a desire uh, to live and to have a part of uh, the activities of this life, and I want to uh, enjoy that as much as I possibly can, for as long as I can. 
We've got grandchildren that I want to see uh, rise up and uh, hopefully live long enough to see them get saved. Uh, if not, though, I'm still praying for them with the expectation that somebody's going to be teaching them about Jesus. Uh, and uh, I've trained uh, our sons uh, and tried to encourage them. And uh, the father of our grandchildren uh, is doing a good job, as far as I can see, uh, in raising those children. So I have confidence in him and his companion uh, to teach them uh, the ways of the Lord and to have them in church so that uh, they hear the gospel and they understand what they must do when they become responsible to God for their condition of sin. Uh, so, uh, but I would like to live to see that if it's all possible. If not, then I'll just go into uh, glory to be with the Lord. Uh, but he said that we have a, a set number of years. And in the writing of uh, the Apostle Paul in the uh, Ephesian letters, uh, he said uh, something that used to, I wondered what it was years ago anyway, uh, but he said redeem the time, redeem the time. And what he was primarily saying was to use the time wisely that we have because we have that limited period of time through this continuum of time uh, that we've just got a little bit of it, a sliver of it, uh, that we have the opportunity uh, to live. The 12th verse of this psalm says, So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts with wisdom. Teach us to number our days. That's not just to count them off on the calendar. Uh, but to number our days as we have them, redeeming the time, uh, that we might use them wisely uh, so that we might develop uh, and understand uh, the ways of God and be able to use what he desires for us to do in our life so that we can be a blessing to others, we can be a help to pointing somebody else toward the Lord, uh, and that we can uh, be an instrument of giving praise unto God and to his son, Jesus Christ. He expects us to be used in that uh, capacity. Uh, and in this course of man's lifetime, a woman's lifetime, a person's lifetime, uh, as we might say, the child is born and, and uh, reared and taught things, hopefully good things. And a child might grow up and be thought of, we think of our grandchildren as good children. Uh, because they are uh, respectful of their parents, they, uh, they do things that are pleasing to us, and uh, they're easily corrected, it seems, uh, at this point in time anyway. And so we're pleased with that. But it doesn't matter how good we see them, there'll come a time in their life, just as it was in yours and my life, uh, and everyone else's life, uh, that in their innocence, God looks upon them uh, without condemnation until they reach a point that God determines for that individual that they know the difference between right and wrong spiritually, that they can determine that. It might be a child at five years old or it might be a child at 15 years old. Uh, it uh, it uh, doesn't matter their age, but it's how God sees them. And when that time comes, uh, I know I, I've, We've got friends that got saved and uh, when they were in single-digit years, 
Uh, I was 12 years old before I ever felt like I was lost. Never had a concern. I'd go and I'd, I'd see people on the altar. I could walk around them and hear people singing. It didn't bother me a bit. What until I was 12 years old, sitting back toward the back of the house in a day service revival uh, meeting, a little lady on the front row. And when I tell my testimony, really get into it, I can tell you all the names of the people, but I, I'll not try to, uh, to do that. You probably wouldn't know any of them anyway. Uh, but uh, she was a little short lady. She got off that front row and she came down. Uh, we, uh, we just had a center aisle and two, uh, two lines of benches. And she started down that aisle. I was standing there. They were singing the invitation song. I had a, didn't have a care in the world. And she started walking down that aisle. And I eyed her. And she was known to go around and ask people about their soul. And she was coming and looking at me. And I wonder why is she looking at me? But then all of a sudden, things changed. And I felt something I had never felt. I was 12 years old, and I was taller than her already. By the time she got back to me, I was standing there with my hands on the back of the bench, kind of looking down. As she came around, she kind of looked up at me in my face. She said, Benny, are you lost? That's all she said to me. I couldn't answer her. I just stood there. But I looked over the top of her head, and out of the A women corner comes my mother. And she started down the aisle. She had never asked me if I was lost. Now, she had told me about being lost. She would never asked me about it, though, and I'd never felt it. Now, I was a relatively sensitive kid, I think. And I knew if she got to me, I was going to break down and cry. So about the time she got back to the bench, I just stepped out and headed to the altar. I went to the altar, and I went to the altar, and I went to the altar for a year. But that was the first time that I felt like I was lost. And I realized it, and I had... The same type thing that a lot of people had. I tried to figure out how I was in such a condition and what I could do to get out of it. I was told all of the things that need to be told, but it didn't seem to register too much with me. And I knew if I didn't go to the altar when the altar call was given, that somebody's going to come talk to me, I'd break down and I'd go anyway. So I'd just get my handkerchief out and have it in my hand when the altar call was given. I'd head to the altar, went up there and sat down. I never got on my knees on the altar. I always sat on it. That was pretty customary for a lot of our kids back then. But I'd sit there and I'd hold my handkerchief over my face, and sometimes I was just waiting for the amen to dismiss and go home. Not really being concerned about the condition I knew that I had within me. But during that period of time, I would think, because people would tell me, you've you got to give up everything. And so I'd think about everything that meant something to a 12, 13-year-old boy. I'd give up baseball. I'd give up television. I'd give up this. I'd give up that. You know, all these things that I'd give up. But it's what I could do. And I thought, I need to go to that altar. I need to go to the altar. 
Going to the altar is a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful place for people to go uh, and to seek the Lord. But if it's in their mind that they've got to go to the altar to get saved, then that's just something that they've got to satisfy in their own mind. Because going to the altar doesn't uh, save anybody. It's a complete surrender to the Lord that takes place wherever you are. Oh, I've heard the testimonies of people in various places. And and I heard a man one time, uh, he was confused because he said, I hear about this time and place you're supposed to be saved. I think I got saved, but I don't know where I was. And I asked him, where were you? Don't you know? He said, well, I was in the airplane and I don't know what state I was over. It don't matter what state or what country is over. He's in the airplane when it happened. Some people get things a little too technical. There's a man up in Indiana that I heard tell his testimony, and he, he would, I, told, I heard him tell it a couple different times, and he would start out that he was ashamed to tell his testimony. Not ashamed of what the Lord had done for him, but he got saved in a beer joint, and he hated to tell that about himself. He was a drinker, and he had gone with some friends uh, to, uh, to uh, have some beers and, uh, and all, and he, he got there because he had heard the gospel, and, uh, and he had just kind of shuffed it off and, and said, you know, it's not for me type thing. But he got there, and he saw some drunk men, and they was acting silly and, and uh, unrestrained, and, and he thought, if I don't quit drinking, that's what I'm going to be like one of these days. And all of a sudden, the conviction hit him. He hadn't had a drink yet. And he didn't let anybody else know, but just at that moment, he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord saved his soul. But again, I tried to tell him what little I could at that time, because this was a lot of years ago, quite a few years ago anyway. Uh, but I said, you don't be ashamed of that, because every one of us that got saved, everyone that ever will be saved, as a rank sinner, it don't matter where you are. No matter how good you've been in the physical life that you live, uh, but in your heart, uh, you're just like the Apostle Paul when he said, I'm the chiefest of sinners. And believe you me, when I got saved, I felt that way. I was as far down in the barrel as you could get. I was as low as it possibly be. The night that I got saved, I didn't get saved sitting up on that bench. Robert Gregory was a pastor of the church, and he always gave an altar call. I never heard him preach that he didn't give an altar call. Brother Howard Taylor was supposed to be helping in the meeting, and it was the first Monday of the meeting, and he was in a, uh, still in a meeting at um, McFerrin Avenue Missionary Baptist Church when it was still on McFerrin Avenue. And so he wasn't there. Brother Gregory preached Sunday night, Monday morning, Sunday night. And I can't tell you a thing he preached about. Don't know what he preached about. I'm sure it was something about being saved. But I wasn't paying that much attention. But it got to the end of his sermon, and he stepped down out of the pulpit into the altar. And I was waiting for that altar call. I got my handkerchief out, had it in my hand, ready to go. And he didn't give an altar call. He didn't say a word about sinners coming to the altar. 
Now, I had seen people get saved at the altar. I'd seen people get saved throughout the house. I'd heard testimonies of people getting saved a lot of different places. But to my 13-year-old mind at that point, I thought I was supposed to be on that altar when I got saved. And the thought came to me, what if he don't give an altar call? And what if I don't get back tomorrow for the altar call? And all of a sudden, I didn't see tomorrow. Hell became so real. I was one breath away from it. And I knew that's where I was going. And I couldn't see waiting any longer. And I can't tell you the words that I said because they came from my... And I don't remember crying a tear. I'd cried many a tear sitting on the altar sometimes when I'd uh, get a little upset or something and, and try to seek the Lord. But that night, I don't remember shedding a tear. But in my heart, I cried out to God. And He heard me. And boom! All of a sudden, things changed again. And I didn't understand what had happened. I just knew it was different. And so I sat there. After the prayer was over, matter of fact, Brother Gregory had gotten down and said, I think we need to pray. Usually when they say that, they'd have people flow into the altar and, and pray, and, but nobody went to the altar. He got down himself in the altar and started praying. People prayed around him in their seats, whatever. But nobody else went up in the altar to pray. Later I heard some people say that they thought his prayer was one of the prettiest prayers they'd ever heard prayed. And I said, I don't know about his prayer because... I was concerned about this boy. Somewhere during that prayer that he had, I had a prayer that was answered. And so I sat there, he got up, and, and he asked if anybody had anything they wanted to say. Again, no altar call. No song sung. And there was a young preacher. He died just a couple of years ago. In his 80s, he'd only been preaching about three months. I didn't know that until many years later, and he told me because he remembered the night himself. But he was visiting there from another church, and he was on the back seat of the amen corner, and he stood up, and he made a talk. I don't remember what he talked about, but I remember him making a talk. And in my heart, it was just kind of pumping like, you, know, you need to do something. I didn't know what to do. He sat down. And on the next to the front seat of the amen corner, one of the deacons got up, and he was one I hardly ever heard him say anything. He was a treasurer of the church, and he'd give a treasury report at the business meeting, but it's very seldom I ever heard him give a testimony. But he got up and testified that night. Again, my heart was just bubbling up. And he sat down, and I thought, I, I, I needed to say something, but I didn't know what to say. And Brother Gregory made the statement, so maybe there's somebody here that's lost that would just like to acknowledge that so that we'll know to pray for you. Well, as good of an intention that that was, the devil used it. He said, that's it. If you're going to get up and say something, tell them you're lost and you need them to pray for you. And so I got to think of, maybe that's what I'm supposed to do. Brother Martin Evitz, dear old man, on the front seat of the amen corner, he got up and he talked. He had a, a pretty lengthy talk. I don't know really how long, but at least it seemed lengthy to me. 
And by then, I was like, I've got to get up. I don't know. And, but the devil said, now, wait a minute. You've been told you don't interrupt older folks when they're talking. So I sit there. I thought, well, when he sits down, I'm going to get up and say something. If I even have to tell him I'm lost and need him to pray for me, i got to get up and say something. Well, he started to sit down, and on the other side, on the front seat of the A-Women corner, his my wife got up, and she started talking. And again, the old devil came along and said, no, wait a minute, you've got to wait for these older folks to get through before you say anything. And she, I don't know how long she talked, but by then I was thinking it was a long time that she talked. But when she sat down, I popped up. And I don't remember stepping out in the aisle. I don't remember passing those three seats in front of me. I got down about the middle of the altar walking towards Brother Gregory, and he was just kind of looking at me, wasn't half smiling, but just wondering what I was going to say, what I was going to do. And the words just came out. Lord, save my soul, and I'm proud of it. Now, I had an old deacon later tell you, you better be careful about saying you're proud. I wasn't proud about anything I'd done. I was proud about what the Lord's done for me. I was thankful for it. And I'm still thankful for it today. And I've been assured about what happened to me on that fourth seat back at Mount Tabor Missionary Baptist Church on July the 3rd, 1961. That it's going to get me into heaven. But that's just a little point. I didn't mean to get into all of that. But that's just a point in time that we reach. Some people reach it at a very early age. Some people put it off time and time again. I've heard the stories of people that lasted up until their deathbed before they got saved. And all the testimonies I've heard, and I know that you've heard many of them too, it just make my heart rejoice even though it's sometimes sad to know that people have put the Lord off so many times, but at some point in time that we live in that space between the birth and the death, if we live long enough to become responsible and accountable to God for our sin, that inherited sin that came from Adam, I believe that every person that reaches that time that they're responsible to God, that he lets them know that something is wrong inside. Even in those countries where the name of Jesus has never been heard, they still realize there's something wrong within them. And I believe that's why that there's so many different kinds of religion in the world because people have tried to find some way to appease that that they know is wrong inside of them. And they try everything from sacrificing children to uh, cutting themselves and uh, doing all sorts of rituals and things that they think will appease some God that they might have an idea about. And there's a scarce few, unfortunately, is so few. But there are some that come out of those countries because they're not satisfied with what's been told to them. They're not satisfied with what's going on. And they come out looking, looking for somebody that has the word. 
of truth to tell them. And I do believe based on scriptural teachings for those that are looking that God will provide somebody to tell them. He's provided people to go into foreign places and, and, and places that we wouldn't think about going. We're told of one instance in the Bible about that, that Philip was in revival meeting up Samaria. Boy, things going good. God said, take off, go down here to the Negev, down in the, in the desert area. Why do you have to leave somewhere that everything's going so good? I've asked that question sometimes when God moves me from place to place. But he went down there and he spied a man that was in a chariot or a, a, a carriage of some type anyway, going along reading the Word of God, the Old Testament. And God placed it on his heart, not just to walk up to him, but he ran to him. And asked him, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I let some man guide me? He had gone to Jerusalem wanting to find something that would occupy that heart of his that was troubled and that would uh, get relief from that. But he found no relief with the teaching he got in Jerusalem and was headed back to Africa until Philip that was sent by God to him told him about Jesus. Use the very scriptures that he was reading from Isaiah and preached to him Jesus and there he got saved. And then he got baptized and then he went on his way rejoicing and Philip went back to his work. From that man that went back to Ethiopia probably is where the gospel got to that country and that area and it'll begin to spread from there. See, God knows what's best for us. Uh, but any way, uh, and again, that's far away from what I was thinking I was going to be saying. Uh, but at some point in our life, there's an opportunity given for us to come to the Lord. Relatively few find the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. And so many people miss the mark. Many people that even talk about Jesus miss the mark on telling what Jesus really did for them. But there's an opportunity. I don't know if there's anybody here that's lost or not. One thing that I would like to, uh, to go to in John's account of the gospel. In the first chapter of John, And I'm not going to go through all this, but he, uh, the word being Jesus was at the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth. And Jesus was the light that came into the world. Some people don't understand that. They, when he said, let there be light, that's the first thing he said about it after he created it. When it was still just a mass, a glob, he said, let there be light. But it wasn't until three days later that he created the sun. So what light was he talking about? He was talking about the light that shined in darkness. That was Jesus.
because the Father was there, the Spirit moved on the face of the earth, and light came to that darkness where God had created this blob that he was going to make into this world and all the things that were therein. John tells us that Jesus is that light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. That light has shown for everybody to have an opportunity to make reconciliation with God. And he said his, he came to his own, his own received him not. But as many as received him. Now, there are people that use that terminology, receive Christ as your personal Savior. You can't receive him in that sense. He says many as received him. That wasn't them getting saved. That was them believing that he was the Messiah. Believing that he was the son of God. Believing that he was the man, man by which that God had sent into the world to provide eternal salvation for all that would put their trust in him. To those that believed that or received him as that, and of course that morphed into people saying to accept Christ. If you accept Christ, accepting Christ is all in the mind. He has to accept you in repentance and faith. And I think that we can show that even in this verse. As many as received him, to them. First of all, they had to receive him in their mind. They had to believe that he was who he said he was. To them gave he power to become the sons of God. So receiving him or accepting him or making a decision for him doesn't make anybody a son of God or a child of God. All it does is make them a candidate to become a child of God. Gave, him, gave them power. And the word power uh, there means the right or the ability to become the sons of God. First of all, there has to be a belief in him. And then people can trust in him and on his name in order to be saved. Even to them that believe on his name. It's one thing to believe in him. It's another thing to believe on him and put yourself on him. And to put yourself in his care. To relinquish all that you are to him. To submit to him in repentance and faith. To those that do that, then they can become a child of God. And he goes on and says, which were born not of blood. Being the sons of Abraham or the offspring of Abraham, the seed of Abraham, that didn't save a single Jew. Still doesn't save anybody today. It doesn't matter who your parents were. It doesn't matter uh, who your uh, connections were. It doesn't matter who your preacher was. It doesn't matter anybody that's been born of the blood of a natural birth uh, that, uh, that will save you. Just being one of those favored people doesn't save anybody. So he said they were not born of blood nor of the will of the flesh. How many times have you seen the big evangelist on television say, you just come down here and receive the Lord. Come down here 
uh, and I'll pray the prayer for you, or you can pray the prayer after me, or, uh, and, and just offer them at the will of man. That, that's, they desire for them to come to know the Lord in the way that they know the Lord. But if they don't know him in the free pardon of sin themselves, they can't do much more than to tell them what they believe. The will of man or somebody else wanting you to get saved doesn't save you. My parents wanted me to be saved, but for a year while I was lost in seeking the Lord, they couldn't do a thing about saving me. But it's not the will of man, nor uh, uh, the will of the flesh or the will of man. It doesn't matter how much somebody wants you to be saved. You're not going to get saved on their wishes or their prayers. You're going to get saved on your own when you call upon the Lord with all your heart. In the Hebrew letter, we're taught in the 11th chapter of Hebrews, if I'm not sure where to find it right quick, make sure I don't misquote it. Eleventh chapter and the sixth verse, and I've used this many times, but I always like to read these things because I want to make sure I get it right. In the fifth verse, he's talking about Enoch having faith, and he's talking about uh, in God. But the sixth verse said, "But without faith, it is impossible to please Him, being God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God." For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. That's the accepting part. That's the receiving part. Must believe in their own mind and have an understanding that Jesus is the means by which they don't have to know all about him. They don't have to know what all the scripture says about him. But they have to realize that he is the means by which that they can make a connection with God. They must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. The reward is salvation to those that diligently seek him. The word diligently means carefully with anxiety. Some people, all they do is just say in their mind, well, Lord, I believe in you, and, and I want you to save me. And, and that's the way a lot of these prayers that they ask you to repeat are is that say that you're a sinner and, uh, and that uh, I, I believe uh, in you and, and thank you for saving me. It's just a mental thing that they go through uh, without a heart belief involved in it. Uh, but he said they must diligently or carefully seek him. People have to be careful about seeking the Lord because there's many spirits in the world. The Bible tells us to try the spirits, see whether they're of God. When a person's lost, they don't know the difference. The only thing that they can be assured of is that in their heart, not in their mind, not in their feelings, but in their heart that the Spirit of God tells them that they're lost and they recognize that. That there's nothing that man can do for them. They're separated from God. And that same Spirit, when they pray right, it doesn't have to be an elaborate prayer. It has to be just one moment of complete trust in Jesus that that same spirit will take away the burden and give the peace just like that I got. They must believe that he is and he's rewarded of them that diligently seek him carefully with anxiety. What we call a mourner's bench 
years ago was called an anxious seat because it's where people that were anxious to find God would come. And they would call on him and they'd cry out to him and they'd plead with him. And that's what we still encourage people to do is to cry out to him, to call on him, to plead with him. And this is a convenient place to come. But wherever that you are, whether it's sitting back in the house, whether it's at home in the bathroom, it doesn't matter. You must carefully, with anxiety, you've got to want him bad, more than anything else in the world. Then people can be saved when they do that. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, very familiar to most of us. For grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, least any man should boast. Separation between it being faith and it being works. That's the only two means that there's available. Of all the religious beliefs in the world, it's either by faith in Jesus Christ or it's by works of what man can do for himself. And what the rituals can do. I had a very pleasant experience uh, happen back the, the first Sunday in September. I was allowed to go back to Hendersonville Missionary Baptist Church and preach there on the anniversary of my 50th year of preaching the gospel. It's where I started, preached my first sermon 50 years ago on that day. I was allowed to go back and to preach. We had a good service and a good spirit there and uh, there was good testimonies and uh, there was uh, good singing uh, and, and things had gone well and we dismissed and I'd gone back toward the back because there were some people in the back that I was totally not familiar with and I thought they didn't really look like they um, belonged there as far as uh, they, they weren't part of the group that was there anyway and so I went back talking to them encouraging them uh, in uh, being there and uh, don't have to go into all what uh, they was doing, but uh, they came there occasionally. While I was back there, I, there was two ladies that I'd met before service, and I just thought they'd been coming there. Uh, one of them, turns out, that was just about the third or fourth time she had been there, and the other one, it was the first time she had been there. And she was invited, had been invited two or three times, but had never had uh, any desire. But anyway, I was motioned by three other ladies that was around them to come up over there and said, she's got something to tell you. And she said, the Lord saved me. These ladies had prayed with her, standing back there together. But then I began to question her about it, to get some information uh, about it. She said, this morning when I got up, I felt compelled to come to church here. God was already working. She said, I felt compelled to come here. And she said, I had never heard about being lost and getting saved. But that had been part of my sermon and part of my testimony that I'd given. Turned out that uh, she was uh, raised as a Catholic and all she knew was the rituals that they went through. But she said, I'd never heard this before. And she said, the Lord has saved me. Had a big smile on her face. We went back there for the New Year's Eve singing, and I was asking the pastor about her, and she's been coming regularly and been given good evidence that she actually had 
an experience of grace. Sometimes people hear it all their life and it's hard for them to get through and then others hear it for the first time and it strikes them very heavily with the condemnation. They seek the Lord and get saved. But see, it doesn't matter when it is in our span of life. At some point in the time that we have, we have to get ready to be with God in eternity forever and ever or either be cast away from Him forever and ever. This is why that we talk to people about it and, uh, and talk about the urgency of it. It's why the Bible says now is the day of salvation or today is the accepted time. Now is the time. It's not to put it off. We certainly hope and pray that people will have another opportunity if they don't get saved uh, uh, at that particular time. Uh, but they need to realize the urgency of it because we don't know when that end time for us is or that time when the Lord comes back and calls an end to all of it. It's a way of time. For people that are not saved, it's a necessity to find peace with God. I, I just saw something I see several uh, blankets or coverings around here. I visited a, uh, I'll not tell you all the reasons why I was there. It wasn't a, a missionary Baptist church, but it was a, a, a church uh, type organization anyway in New York City in Queens. And uh, it was a black church. And uh, I was in their office building, which was separate from uh, their building, which was an old theater building, and it said about 3,000 people. And they asked me if I wanted to go see their sanctuary. I said, well, sure, I'd like to go see it. They took me over there, and they still had the theater seats in there that people said. And, and I noticed and was, uh, that ever so often there was a seat that there was a, a little flag-like thing that was hanging over the back of the seat. And this man asked me, he said, you, don't, you know what those... Uh, flags are I said no I don't know he said that's where people got saved and then he took me back to the seat he was sitting in where he got saved and he told me about his salvation experience and I felt good about what he had to say about it but I just saw those sitting around that, that just triggered that in my mind anyway when we get saved there's a marker We have that place. Sometimes it's a place we can't go back to, but other times it's a place that's dear to us that we get to go and visit every once in a while. I like to go back to Mount Tabor and see that seat I was sitting in when I got saved. Just another little thing that goes along that 34 years later, that same the same day of the month, July the 3rd, my oldest son got saved sitting right there. Two of us have that place to market. Actually, there's some others that got saved in that same place there at Mount Tabor. But it's a dear place to me. Yes, we're all have the opportunities uh, to, to seek the Lord, 
if we take advantage of it. I hope all of you are saved. If you're not, then I would certainly encourage you to seek the Lord while you have time and opportunity. If you are saved, I encourage you to encourage others to seek the Lord because time, uh, matter of fact, uh, song leader had asked me if there's any song I want, and I had thought about it as I studied this earlier in the week a little bit, that song time has made a change. Because time makes changes in all of us. But the biggest change of all that can come in anybody's lifetime is that point where they seek the Lord with all their heart and find peace through Jesus and eternal life. That's the focal point of anybody's life because that's what will get them to the promised land and into eternity forever in the presence of God and not be cast away from him. I know this is a little different type of message than what I usually present, but it's the best I knew to do tonight. And I trust that God will bless you in your endeavors to serve him. There will be many souls saved through the efforts of this church as there has been in the past. I don't know how long the Lord's going to tarry before he comes back, but in the meantime, while we are living in our sliver of time, let us do all that we can to point somebody towards Jesus. I, I don't like to hear people say, well, I led so-and-so to Jesus. No, all you can do is point them to him. They've got to find him themselves. And really, he finds them. He leaves the 99, goes after that one lost sheep. But see, that lost sheep is blaying. It's out there crying, wanting some relief from its condition. And somebody that's truly seeking the Lord, the Lord will find them. May we hear many testimonies yet in days to come from the efforts of this church and our sister churches, wherever that they are throughout the world, carrying the gospel, that people might be saved. It's good to be with you. Thank you. I'll, I'll finish up now. Start back over to you.